Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, and welcome to Cumberland Lodge. It's a great pleasure to welcome you this evening, especially those that are joining us for the first time, those who are joining us via the internet, and uh, it's particularly good to welcome Alexandra Papadakis. Welcome, Alexandra. But just to kick off, how did you get into publishing? Um, my story, I guess, is very much that I, I'm running a family business, so I was really born into it, I suppose. My father was a publisher. He set up his publishing house from, um, from let me see if I can find some pictures for you, in late 68, that's him in front of his door. And, um, and ever since I was little, I was always surrounded by books. My mother was a librarian. My father obviously into publishing, and um, and it was very much a part of my life from the very beginning. And that's me oh, yeah. practicing practicing how to sell the books. <laughs> Something I'm still learning to do now. <laughs> and. Um, and I guess it's something that I've always loved and I always knew that I would get into. And I uh, went to study architecture, but very much with the, um, from the point of view in the back of my mind that I wanted to learn about architecture so that I could, so that I could um, come back and continue writing, editing, working on architectural books. Mm. And, um, and that's really how I got into it. Yeah, so your father, that was the main, main side of his, uh, of his business was ar architecture. Yes, exactly, yes. Yeah. So there we are, you study architecture, you come back, you start working, um, and, um, and then when you're, you, you, you started to publish beyond architecture, what sort of took you into that, into another world? So I guess um, I've always been interested in the, in the very, very small. I love detail. I love um, structure. I love geometry. And, um, and my studies in architecture took me to looking um, beyond architecture into natural forms. And it was actually a chance meeting uh, during a book fair when two authors, potential authors at the time, came up and loved the quality of the books that my father and I had been doing. And they said, um, one of them said, I'm a scientist at Kew, and the other one said, I'm a, an artist in residence at Kew, and we've been working on this project together, and we would love to get it published. Um, but it, you know, this doesn't look like the kind of book that you would be interested in the work, and, and I absolutely fell in love with it. And, and that was the beginning of this um, series of books that we did, um, which I will find. Um, Here we go. So the first book was the pollen book, which we call it, um, which was then followed by a book on seeds and fruit, and then Green Universe. And they were books for me that were um, that are beautiful, that have structure in, in um, what is this, um, this stunning kind of natural form, natural history, but also this fascinating combination of a scientist and an, and an artist mm. working together. Um, producing um, work that we had not seen before. Yeah, and we've got and we've got the big version and the and the little version. So I can just show you how these books first started, and and for me, for me, these were as as architectural as as the architecture books that we were yeah. <laughs> that we were working on. So actually, instead of showing you the books this way, I will show you some slides, which are probably a bit easier. Can just put them here for now. I'm, I'm stacked up with books, so <laughs> we're going to run out of space at, at some point. 
And you're not flogging them tonight. I'm not flogging them. Don't worry. There's no pressure. So I can give you just a bit of background about the Seeds book, if you like, which I see as a real turning point for, um, for our business, because this was the, really the start, as you say, the kind of move away from architecture, although we still publish books on, on art and architecture. Um, this kind of led into working um, with a, a lot of scientists, a lot mm. of research, and, and different organizations. And Seeds and Pollen and Fruit um, were all done with the Royal Botanic Gardens at Kew. And, um, was done with the Millennium Sea Bank. This is the Millennium Sea Bank here, which is at Wakehurst Place, which is um, this colossal storage yeah. for um, seeds from all over the world. And it's an absolutely extraordinary project. And um, they banked their billionth seed um, quite some time ago, so they must have several billion by now, actually. But I remember the big celebration when the, the billionth seed came in, and that was a... a, a huge exciting moment um, having seen it start from scratch and um, and this is where um, seeds are sent in from all over their store and uh, my author Wolfgang on the right who's the um, scientist and he's actually a seed morphologist um, he says he's the the only one on the on the planet that has this amazing title because nobody else wants to do the job <laughs> um, he actually teamed up with Rob Kessler, who's the, um, the, the co-author, who's an artist based at Central St. Martins. And they basically um, took uh, Wolfgang's images. So he was um, studying seeds using a scanning electron microscope and was realizing just how absolutely beautiful these images are. And I'll just flick through a few of them because you can really see. So some of, uh, most of the images are actually from a microscope, but there are many such as these, which are from uh, normal camera shots as well. And Wolfgang basically wants to tell the, the whole story. What is a seed to what are all these um, genetic uh, you know, evolutionary modifications, like these winged um, seeds and fruits here with these prickly ends that... Um, enable them to attach themselves onto animal fur. Um, these are all wing, wind-dispersed seeds. You can see these kind of flat um, wings that they have. This is a dandelion seed. So um, he really wants to tell the story. And, and Rob um, came in as the artist and, and was the one to really help him take what were um, what he said were quite dry scientific images which were really just kept in the lab originally and, and create artworks from them which would be used to then illustrate this book. And I actually have a little making of slide at the end so you can see just what the process involves. It's quite an extraordinary thing. And, um, and these books were amazing for us because they, they inspired not just botanists who said we're seeing things that we're used to seeing, but in a really beautiful way. But they inspired um, ceramicists, fashion designers, photographers, architects, um, people really from all, all directions. Um, there's a lovely section of the book, which I, I really love, which was Rob's section where he compares um, geometric structural forms. Some of them are, are seeds that you see every day. So this is from a red campion, which you would see growing wild on the, on the roadside. And some are a little bit more exotic. This is from Africa. Um, I can't remember where this is from. <laughs> from. 
And so you can really see the detail, the sharpness that the, the microscope yeah. pulls up. It's quite extraordinary. And if I flick through. And so this is something that I, I love showing. And it took us three books to actually decide that actually we really should show people how these images are made. Um, because the process is so laborious. So each book was done, all the images were taken specifically for the book. So they'd never been seen before. So Wolfgang actually had to collect all the seeds or had to arrange for them to be sent in. And they come in um, in this format on the top left. And then um, they're dried and they're spatter coated in, um, sometimes in gold. And sometimes in, this one is um, coated in platinum on the bottom left. And, um, and then they're put in this chamber. In fact, I've got this the wrong way around. So the, the center bottom is then the next image where you then put this seed actually in the chamber of the microscope, which you see on the top middle there. And, um, and the electron microscope, it, the, the image is taken, it's not like a conventional camera, the electron microscope is actually bombarding the, the item that you have in the chamber with electrons, so you get this super, super sharp image, which you see a portion of on the top right. And what you then have to understand is that something like that's on the front cover of the fruit book is made up of about 80 different images taken in the um, taken by the microscope. So then, Rob and Wolfgang have to stitch together all of these photographs, um, depending on the size of the original um, the original um, sample, and then clean them all up. And then Rob adds colour, which is inspired from the original uh, colour of the plant. So it's a hugely laborious process before it even comes to me as the <laughs> publisher. <laughs> wow. And I mean, one of the interesting things that you do is that you work with, with, with scientists. Yes. And um, I think public engagement and being much more open about science seems to be uh, a trend within, uh, within research now. Is that something that you're that you're clearly benefiting from. Hugely, hugely. I think I'm making up from um, being rubbish at science when, uh, while I was at school. I was, I was actually just very, very lazy, but I've always loved it. And I think I'm on this catch-up now where um, I'm in this amazing position where I can be in touch with scientists and organizations because organizations are so willing to, um, to put time and resources into public engagement. And um, they might be small or they might be huge. And, um, and really, I found that um, scientists are, you know, if you show any interest in, in what they're doing, they will talk to you uh, until you drop, basically. <laughs> and, and, and really are so willing to, to, to pass on their information. I found that, I've always found that a huge pleasure and I get so much out of working with them. One question, um, seeing we've seen some of your work already now, do you think your training as an, uh, in architecture has affected how you work as a publisher? <laughs> um, I think so. I think so. I think um, I was saying to you before. I think that I, I think the publishers have a signature style to their books, and I um, would like to think that you would see one of my books if you saw my books, and you would recognise that this has a, a house style belonging to Papadakis. It, it has my um, kind of input, my my vision. 
I'm a very visual person, that's why I loved my architecture studies, and it made me, um, it, it made me have a kind of an acute sense of detail, um, proportion, balance. Um, and so I also design most, I, I used to design all the books, now I have a, a little bit less time, so I design some of the books. Um, but I really see that through in, in each page. And, and all your books are, are illustrated books, aren't they're, they? They're yeah. all illustrated books, yeah. yes. Yeah. yes. So we've talked a little bit about the science and the, um, <coughs> and the public engagement. Um, and that's led you on to a really intriguing project with a rather different scientific organisation. Yes. And a very different sort of book. I wonder whether you could tell us about that. Oh, here we go. Yes. <laughs> so this, <laughs> working on a, a 265 highly illustrated and, and very text-heavy series of um, science art books led me to, not directly, but almost directly, led me to do a pop-up book with CERN, who um, a lot of you will have heard of because it's um, where, not only where um, Tim Berners-Lee invented the World Wide Web, but also discovery of the Higgs boson, um, which was discovered in uh, 2013, 2013 or 12, <laughs> 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 now, I'm, now I'm forgetting, um, one of the two. Yeah. And, um, and so I've actually done four books with CERN, this was the second book that I, um, that I worked with. So how did you hook up with CERN? CERN, again, it was, believe it or not, it was at a book fair, and I had worked on another uh, a writer from the Times who was a science environment correspondent at the Times and he had um, included a short piece about CERN and the Large Hadron Collider and my father actually was a physicist before he became a publisher and I remember and my mother is also from um, very close to Geneva on the French side near Annecy and my father when I was small used to tell me about secret science experiments that would go on you know under the mm -hmm. mountains of, yeah. of Geneva and I always thought he was joking um, and actually he wasn't at all because CERN is very very real and has been mm -hmm. there for a very long time um, and um, and it's a huge huge organization um, and it was at a book fair, and uh, the main photographer from CERN was actually walking around the aisles with a, just a little leaflet with an idea for a book that she had. And, and I saw her, and I saw the image on the leaflet, and I kind of ran out of the stands and basically accosted her <laughs> in the middle of the fair and, and asked her what she was doing as I recognized the work. And I think she was so amazed at that point that... Um, that I was so interested and I, I really became quite determined that I wanted to work on this book. And, um, and so I did and I've done, as I said, I've done three books with her and another book with somebody else at CERN um, and have been working with them on different projects mm. ever since. Can we have and a snoop inside? Of course. So this is the Large Hadron Collider pop-up book. So this is CERN's way of, um, they, it's a bit like what we were saying before, they, um, science organisations, organizations really want to tell you what they're doing and CERN have these open days in fact you can go anytime you like you can book a visit it's free they will get they will guide you around and when the experiment is off um, you can actually go um, down underground 100 meters underground in fact if I open this up you will see so you get and and this was actually designed by um, 
uh, quite a famous um, Bulgarian paper engineer um, and who worked with physicists at CERN. So everything is absolutely accurate. And they were very, very um, particular about, um, about this. So every line that you see in this book is, is completely mm. to scale. And so when you, when you travel to CERN, you, you end up in a car park on the top and you see what looks like just a, a giant cow shed. But then you go inside and you can see these two vast access tunnels which go 100 meters down. And this is actually how the, um, the collider was built. So you have this huge cavern underground and they actually just lowered pieces through these access tunnels and built it from both ends, a bit like just slices of a cake. They were kind of lower and then um, slide very, very slowly, just millimeters um, you know, per mm. minute <laughs> and, um, and put it all together. And um, when the experiment is running, you obviously can't go underground because it's, um, it's radioactive, you have no access. And so CERN were very keen on having a book that they um, would be able to um, show to the public and, and just uh, basically as, a, as an outreach project. So actually here, we've, we've done a spread. I've kind of, I've done a bit of a here's one I made for you earlier, <laughs> <laughs> which is you can build um, your own Atlas detectors. So there are actually four um, detectors around this ring. I wonder if I can show you. So as you can probably tell, being a publisher, basically, um, it means I learn a little bit about quite a few subjects. So I can, <laughs> can talk for about five minutes on a few, a few subjects that I've published, probably not much more. But um, this is the, the ring that's underground. Um, and it goes um, under the French and uh, Swiss, um, it crosses French and Swiss borders. And, um, and the ring is 27 kilometers in, um, in length. And you have these detectors positioned around and the largest two are called CMS and Atlas. And the detectors are like huge cameras. And what's happening is that they are um, speeding up um, packets of protons that go round and round and round and round the accelerator. And then they, um, they join the beams together and they smash them and they smash these beams together at these critical points where the detectors are, and then they record what they, um, what they see. They, they're taking a, <laughs> you would know about this. They, they're then taking a snapshot, so the front cover is, is basically one of the recordings of, of what's called an event, one, one particle collision. So, sorry. That's the tunnel with the actual accelerator, and then just a few spreads. All these images are in the book, but I thought they'd be better, larger. So mm -hmm. you can get a sense of scale. Sometimes you see a human in there, and it's just the, I, I think it's the most beautiful thing to see. It's just such a, a feat of engineering, absolutely extraordinary. And this is just showing this kind of layers of complexity, what, what, they're, what they're building and how they're recording it. Um, this is the calorimeter. So also this pop-up book then just shows, that's actually that. <laughs> it's showing kind of different elements of what is recording all this data. Here's another event. Oops, too far. And, um, and then just to show you the last spread. So we have 
<laughs> uh, a 3D illustration. This is actually um, the Big Bang, so it's from the very, very beginnings of the universe, then progressing outwards, how, um, how matter was formed. Um, here we're explaining matter and antimatter with the simple flip of a, <laughs> of a bit of card. Um, here um, we're looking at protons. This is uh, tracking the Higgs boson which was uh, actually an insert for this edition because Peter Higgs allowed us to call, us, um, call this the Higgs edition. So this book actually came out um, for the Science Museum exhibition that was done on the Large Hadron Collider. This is talking about dark matter and then just to prove where we are, here we are um, on the last, mm. <laughs> on the last flap. I was going to ask you because it says on there Science Museum, so it became a partner as well. In, it became in the yes. So I did um, this edition. I did as the the official kind of catalogue for um, the Hadron Collider exhibition, which was amazing mm. for us. Wow. So, yeah, very very exciting. So it's <laughs> really really interesting. I often wondered how pop up books get produced because it's there's such a feat of engineering they're, they're a nightmare i don't think i'll ever do one again <laughs> ever no, you're not gonna mark my words your reactor. <laughs> um, and we've 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 had a little snippet when you flipped on of another another book and um and another intriguing scientific partnership that you've you've had so can you tell us a bit about um blue ice Yes. Oh, it just went automatically. That's yeah, we are. <laughs> so blue ice. So um, while I'm, I'm a huge supporter of the Science Museum, it's it's almost my second home in London. And while I was there, actually working on the um, the pop-up book with them, somebody introduced me to um, to the um, the director of the Scott Polar Research Institute, and um, it was a really timely introduction because I had published a couple of years ago, this very beautiful volume called Wild Africa um, by a, an Italian um, photographer called Alex Bernasconi, and it's a stunning book, and I, I'll leave all the books out later so you can have a look. Um, big photographic volume, and then Alex then went to um, Antarctica, and had told me, you know, I'm going to Antarctica, I want to, the, the next book will be on Antarctica. I thought, wonderful. Um, but I actually really wanted, um, Wild Africa doesn't have much text in it, and I wanted something, I, I always love having this, this collaboration of, um, of beautiful images and an interesting text. I want to know more about what's going on than just, I'm, I'm not happy with just having yeah. beautiful images, I, I want more than that. And, um, and so I asked um, Professor Dazzle, who's the, the director of Scott Polar, if he would write a forward, and, which he did, and, um, and then I also had a text written by uh, Peter Clarkson, who's a fellow at um, Scott Polar, and um, between um, the two, they've spent years, actual years, living in Antarctica, um, and gave such a, a brilliant, it was just such a, an added boost to the mm. book to have these beautiful texts by them, mm. to then go alongside Alex's quite extraordinary imagery. And um, you saw in the previous slide the, the awards to Scots. It was published two years ago, and, um, and it won some really, really prestigious publishing awards. I'm so proud of it. And it was nice to have been able to marry the, the authors together, if you like. Mm. Um, so just a few examples. These are spreads from the book. 
and then some of his imagery. And Alex is an absolute perfectionist. I mean, his, his photographs, I've, I've never really seen anything quite like them. Um, <laughs> and this book was also the start of really looking at um, landscapes that are very fragile and subject to change and, um, and really um, that are this kind of um, like a, a litmus test almost of, of what is going on around the planet. So we started to have a bit more of an environmental angle with this book that's then later to follow on. And it's leading on to another project, isn't it? It's, it's leading on to um, three other projects, actually. One, an, another one with Alex, um, he's just come back from Iceland, uh, again, has extraordinary photographs from, from there. But also, um, Professor Dowdswell um, is wanting to write up um, his years as a researcher and a scientist in Antarctica and in, whoop, too far again, <laughs> and, um, and all around in the Arctic as well. So we're yeah. going to be doing a double volume, north and south pole, um, on the back of having done Blue Ice with him. There's a really interesting collaboration again with, yes. with, with, with scientists and with, with these scientific institutions yes. that want to be public. Exactly, yes. That's yes, fascinating. And then you've also just given us a hint <laughs> and the environmental, the env environmental side has, has moved into something uh, rather, rather different. And this book, Industrial Scars, and I wonder if you could just introduce us to, the, to, the, oh, to, 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 to what's, what's in this book. <laughs> So this, well, um, I'll do a short introduction. And actually for this book, I brought a very, very short a two minute video, which is a trailer that we made with the author, because I think it's just so, it's, it's fun, but also really important to see what his background is. And, and we shot some footage so that you can see how he shot some of these images. Because this is a book that is um, as horrifying as it is beautiful, because it's actually pictures, aerial photographs, almost all of them, um, from around the world of toxic waste. Um, these are the photographs of um, what happens when we mine for coal, what happens when we um, extract copper, um, our demands for steel, aluminium, what happens when there's an oil leak. Um, so you will see photographs, but I can also show you a little should I show the film now? Please, absolutely, work? yeah. Sorry, I'll just do my little... I think we'll get out of the way. Then. I'm some combination of artist, scientist, and engineer, and I'm fascinated by how things work, and even more fascinated by how things can fail. My name is Jay Henry Fair, I make pictures of toxic waste and tell stories about how the stuff that we buy every day is doing us harm, but how we as consumers could change all that pretty easily. My new book, Industrial Scars, is a combination of abstract expressionist pictures of toxic waste, intricate studies of the machines that extract our minerals, with a text which explains all these things. For instance, 
how we get electricity from coal and what happens when we burn all that coal. The Mississippi River, with its place in American history and its stretch of toxic industry, known as Cancer Alley, seemed like a logical place to start this project. So I went down to New Orleans and I hired a plane and I flew up the river. After 15 years of doing this project, I've assembled a collection of pictures that tells a very complete story about the things we take for granted and the hidden costs of the things we buy every day. I hope my pictures can help people realize the power they have as consumers. Perhaps we can just see some of the some of these these images that you sure. talk about being beautiful but having so, a horrific dimension. Yeah, to them. absolutely. Well, um, Henry was one of the main uh, photographers who was covering the BP um, oil rig disaster a few years ago. That was a, a shot from from there. Um, here you have um, so I've written just from the the chapter opening. So you have coal, um, food, which is covering um, pesticides, insecticides, uh, and also the, the manufacturing of, um, um, oh, um, anyway, <laughs> intensive agriculture. Um, fracking, which is a hot, hot topic, um, very, you know, remarkably new in our lives and, and um, quite untested. Aluminium, copper, and steel. And again, just a few sample spreads. You'll have seen a few of these in the film. Um, this, we actually got a, a forward written by Bill McKibben, who is the founder of a, a group, an activist group called 350.org. And 350 actually takes its name from, um, it's 350 parts per million. Um, it's the, the level of carbon dioxide, um, which is still a safe level. Um, for us, uh, it, you know, in which we can inhabit this planet. And just a couple of days ago, we hear that um, the carbon dioxide levels are, are really um, so extraordinarily high that people are very, very scared for our future. I mean, it's, it's not news, but to actually see the published mm. results is really very, very terrifying. I mean, these, these coal mines, these are open coal mines, this is in Germany. And this image, you can just see the little car. You can see a white, in fact, it's a van, the white van on the top left of that image. These machines are huge, absolutely huge. And, um, and Henry was saying they, you know, they construct these machines. Once they're finished with the mine, they, they don't go anywhere. They're just left there. It's too costly to actually yeah. move. You don't, they don't just transport this machine to somewhere else. They're either just dug into the ground or left as, as beer moths, kind of relics of, mm. of their, their past work. Um, these really show leaching um, from uh, waste ponds that either weren't lined or, or that were lined and that were breached. Um, a lot of these photographs are, are taken across the US in areas that people don't normally get to see or visit. This is why 
Henry ends up taking a, a plane. He actually um, he plots his areas. He he uses um, Google Earth and um, and is obsessive. He'll kind of go around looking, 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 and then he'll chart out and plot out a whole flight um, so that he knows exactly where he's going. He's got it all marked on a, a map. He'll tell his pilot where he needs to go. And he says, you know, natural um, barriers such as mountains and valleys that people hide, hide these things behind. When he's up in the plane, there's no, there's no limit to what he can see. So you have a combination of the very abstract and then elements where you really have a, a sense of scale as, as to what is mm. happening. Um, this is slurry, for example, from a, an intensive hog farm. Um, which has just killed an entire, um, we can see all the trees are dead, it's polluted the water source. So this really is a book, for me it's, a, a, it's probably the most important book I feel I've done, it's a book with a message um, that I really, I really stand behind and it's the way that I see my hopefully a lot of my publishing moving forwards. I, I want to be doing more books that um, that, that celebrate the beauty of someone's work and research, but that are also a bit of a wake-up call um, for for the general public as well. That mound in the background. This is in Germany again, um, and there's a river that goes around. It's actually um, it's a fertilizer plant, and all that mound is um, it's waste salt. It's just a, a, a leftover. It's 200 meters high, and it's just there, and it's changed the whole. Um, it's actually had the uh, the environmental impact is such that there are um, salt-loving plants that are now growing along this river. But then you look at this. You know, there's a whole town. There, there are schools. There are families and people living right in the vicinity of of these factories. Extraordinary. And, um, and then I just wanted to show a little bit with this book in terms of the press that we've um, had, the, the kind of press coverage, because this is a book I've actually found very hard to, as, a, as a publisher, putting my business hat on, this book has been hard to sell. Um, and we've had, although we've had good sales in the UK, it's been quite, it's, it's hard pushing a book that isn't necessarily bringing good news to people. Um, but the interesting thing has been the press that we've received, and um, and these first two were were actually um, great coups from our um, from well from both Henry and our our press guy because we decided we'd do an exclusive for two journalists and we um, we offered in fact the two who picked up on it were the Guardian on the left and Vice magazine on the right, and um, and we hired a plane and we took them up and we flew them. Bristol Channel and took them to see some of the industrial scars of England and um, southeastern Wales, that kind of lower end. And these are the articles that came about and it was really, um, they were really important to us and they were a big kickstart to them what was a very, um, a very important um, series of, of articles. Um, and what's also interesting, again, a little bit like with the Seeds book, it's just so interesting to get scientific journals, such as New Scientist, and photography journals, and newspapers, um, and, 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 all, and all kind of different press from all, all sides picking, it, picking up on it. So this is um, EcoWatch, 
who did a, a big piece, advanced photographer, Petapixel, they uh, run a big photography prize. This was a chemical, um, the chemical engineer. So just a whole gamut of... Um, this would lend itself to an exhibition. Is that something that might happen? Yes, he's got, um, he's got an exhibition in, um, in Italy at the moment. And he has a um, he exhibits in Berlin and in New York, but I'd love to do something in in London with him. Um, I put this in just because Chris Packham, I, he's such a hero for me. And having seen that um, the documentary about him last week, I don't know if anybody saw it, but um, he picked it as his book of the year last year. And um, his original his original description, although um, Radio Times tempered him down a bit, um, he said it's the environmental kick up the arse that everyone <laughs> needs. <laughs> they, they changed it a little bit, but yes, he, he was a really big champion um, of the book for us, which was really wonderful. And how did, how did you, you meet the author for this one? Was it... You <laughs> so again, just a, another slightly random thing. So I have a designer who I work with, but he's based in New York. And um, he, he used to be in London, but he got married and, and moved. But I still work with him. We, we Skype and FaceTime from 12.30 p.m. onwards pretty much every day. And Henry was his neighbor. And, um, and one day I went to visit him, and, and Aldo, my designer, said, oh, you, um, you really need to meet this friend of mine lives down the road from me and he's doing this extraordinary work and so I, I went along to see him and as I went to see him I, I couldn't believe it I saw this work I fell in love with the work and I thought this is absolutely for me um, he just signed a deal with another publisher <laughs> so so I actually had to wait I waited um, five nearly six years to work with him so I kept in touch and I followed his work and he did another book. It was very, very different. Um, and um, and then two years ago, actually three years ago, he gave me a call and he said, "Are you ready to do that book you've been pestering me about yeah. for so many years?" And I said, "Bring it, bring it along." And he yeah. he did. He came over and we we had the book um, out within the year. So that was really extraordinary. And with that. Um, the text for the book was researched and written um, again by Lewis Smith, the Times science environment correspondent, so it has this really um, brilliant text. And Lewis would call me, he would say, right, um, the next chapter, I've, I've just emailed it to you. Um, and the food one, he said, make sure you don't read this before you have your lunch, and I read it and I thought, <laughs> 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 it was just so, it was really depressing, it's quite awful. But presumably you're you know, you're, you're getting traction now and, and, and winning awards. Are authors coming to you saying, please publish my book because you do a fantastic a job? Few, a few are, yes. yes, yes. Um, a few are, it's, it's, there's a whole range actually. So a lot of people I work with are, are friends of friends or friends of authors um, or colleagues of authors. So they've heard that we've done a book with somebody else. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll write to people just out of the blue. I'll read something that I'm interested in or I'll see an exhibition that I'm find really, um, really interesting and I'll, I'll write and, and ask if they're, they're interested and, and that sometimes works. And, and then sometimes you get unsolicited or, or just, you know, chance, chance encounters which are unrelated to everything else. 
two questions before we mm. open up um, for a broader discussion. One is, what is what's coming up? What do, what, what's, what's, what do we look out for in the bookshops? What's um, about to come out? So um, this is the new book. In fact, um, you're probably you're the um, fourth plus 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 <laughs> people to see it because um, the authors have not even seen the bound copy yet. So it arrived about three days ago. It's Wild mm -hmm. India. So it's keeping in the same um, uh, kind of format and series as Blue Ice. It's a, a very beautiful uh, photography book of India all over the Indian uh, subcontinent by a German author called Axel Gomil. So that's the next book to be published. It will be out next week already. So... Hopefully you'll see articles about this coming out soon as well. And anything else coming out? Um, what else? Not until next year now. Not until next no. year. What's, what's next year? Um, next year will be um, the, the second book on Antarctica with mm -hmm. Scott Polar oh, yeah. Research yeah. Institutes. That will be the, the big book for next year. And then I'm also working on a book on the tribes of the Amazon. Um, so how many, how many books a year could you... Because it's a very small team. It is, yes. Um, we're very few people at the moment. So uh, when, when we're at our maximum number, which is four or five, <laughs> um, and really working around the clock, we, we were doing about 12 to 14 books a year. Mm. And at the moment, we're doing around five, much yeah. smaller, and much more, much and more focused and in-depth. <laughs> and your books are being uh, sold around the world. Perhaps you could just explain how it works, because you're this little, this small team and your books are being sold in umpteen countries. How, how does it actually, how does the business side of, of, it, of international publishing work? So publishing, especially, um, especially this kind of publishing, it's very expensive to print one of these books. And so what you do as a publisher, whether you're small or you're um, the, you know, the largest, is you look for partner publishers to join you um, on, your, on your print runs. And um, so we go to book fairs and we, I have a folder of all our kind of current and future projects that I will show to other publishers from different countries, from Germany, France, Korea, China, Japan, the US, all over. And, um, and depending on what kind of publisher they are, so you get some publishers who only publish cookbooks or you get others who only do fiction or crime or, or others who just do science books or, or illustrated titles such as mine. And so, um, and so you then find publishers who will then buy rights to your books. And um, so, for example, I have um, one book here. So I have three iterations of it. So I have one book. It's called um, Wonders of the Plant Kingdom. And this was my edition. So this is what I published in um, the UK and the US. And so you've got um, a book with this layout. It's actually um, a kind of hybrid of seeds, pollen, and fruit all together. And then the book um, came out. This was the, um, the uh, which edition was this, actually? Let me just check. That was the German edition, um, which was then published with the, exactly the same layouts, but just with a different cover. So um, in terms of printing, um, you say about extended print runs. Can, obviously, it's got to be in German. Yes. But that then, but the, the typesetting costs are are less um, than otherwise they would be if, it, if they're printed at the are they printed at the same time? They're printed time? at the same time, yeah. yes, and then you yeah. just change the text. Change the text. Basically, yes. Yeah. Yes, so you're, you're buying one lot of paper, paper. Right. Um, yeah. and printing it all in one go, yeah. and then the books then go off to their different 
homes yeah. on different ships. And is the other one in a different format? The was it the Japanese one? No, no, the, it isn't. So these ones are all the same. Um, they're all the same format. They did hardcovers. I did a paperback um, because I didn't want it to be in competition to my large hardcover. Um, but sometimes people will change a format. Um, the Chinese often change formats. The Dutch do too. It just really depends on the market and yeah. what price they're yeah. wanting to sell to their to their readers at. My last question really is, in an ideal world, what would you like to publish in the future? <laughs> um, I have a, a whiteboard in my office and it's, um, it's behind my desk, so I see it every morning and pretty much every time I get up um, from my seat. And it's the board, the only thing that's allowed to be written on this board, it's my wish list of books that I want to publish. And um, so whenever something new or a new idea comes in, I'll write, scribble it on the board. And, um, and there are a couple of ideas that have been on that board for a while and I'm just really waiting to find the right um, authors and one um, which we've talked about is I would love to do a book about water. Um, I think it's such an important subject and I'm really interested to explore um, who owns our water, who, it, who does own it and what gives one company the right to dam something, another the right to extract another, um, you know, what happens when water source is polluted, um, when fish stocks are dying through pollution, through plastics in the sea, you know, what, what is this? Water is transport, water is water that we drink. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. So that's something I would love to work on as a kind of long project. Um, I also love, um, I love anything kind of um, stars, solar system, planets, anything kind of space related. Um, so I would love to do more in, in that area as well. Um, but really kind of continuing the environmental side of things. Mm. Um, I'll stick with my <laughs> dirty subjects of plastics exactly. and pollution. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's open up. Anyone got any uh, questions they'd like? Yes, please. I think putting, um, I mean, this is a question I ask myself every morning <laughs> when, I, when I look at this, because I think there, there are two issues with this. I think books, if books are delivering bad news, they also need to deliver a positive message as well. And this book does do that, um, and maybe it needs to do it a little bit more, um, but I think that I think people are wary. When I say people, I'm not talking about the general public. I'm talking about the bookshops, um, the importers, the, the wholesalers, and, and other publishers, basically, who are very wary of committing money um, to investing in a project um, which they see as as being a, a negative, as, as having a negative connotation or a negative subject. So. Um, 
people would rather publish a kind of National Geographic style, um, beautiful skies and, um, and, and sunshine and, and stunning landscapes than they would moody, um, darker, kind of edgier, edgier photography. Um, I did get told by um, someone a year ago that blue ice, it was far too moody for them and, and why wasn't there more sunshine? been to Antarctica but having heard about um, my author's journey there which <laughs> he said was hair raising in itself I don't think you go there for the blue skies somehow <laughs> but um, no I think it's um, I think it's really interesting and um, and I think that people I think there probably isn't enough publishing in this way I think that you know the, the reason why Chris Packham really latched on to industrial scars as he said you know we need more books like this we have enough of stunning landscape books you know places to visit and all these all these kind of beautiful places but um, actually getting um, a book that is also a newsworthy way as well seems yeah. to be more difficult anyone else got a question what is the market for these books? I mean, you've got to sell, make money to keep the company going, so who buys them? Um, it depends on the title. Um, the pop-up book, for example, had a huge, almost cult-like following, um, very much what I would say is the wired generation, um, uh, young, um, kind, of, this kind of slightly geek angle, um, as well as the whole um, uh, populace who are, who are involved around CERN. Um, industrial scars as well. I would say the demographic is um, kind of 25 to, to 40s have been our, our largest demographic for this title. Um, and then the um, seeds, pollen, fruit series. I'd say that that's again that's just a much wider area, and um, and that really is covering um, both people in education. So uh, a lot of uh, students have picked up on those titles, as well as established scientists, researchers, botanists, etc. So the texts and all of them, um, although they're written by, um, it, really every opportunity written by experts, and I really try and go for the top experts in their field, they're always written in a very approachable manner, certainly not dumbed down um, to a point where you there's no point in reading it because it's, 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 there's no content, um, but in a way that you can read these books without having every, any prior knowledge on the subject. And so that's really what I'm aiming for, to attract people who are interested in the subjects but who are not um, afraid of picking up the book for fear of, of not understanding it. Yeah, Andrew. Um, you, you mentioned the Science Museum in London. I remember seeing it on television, packed for the launch of major Tim Peake yes. into space. Mm -hmm. They were very noisy, very enthusiastic. Uh, what do you think is the mood among present-day school children as far as science is concerned? Oh, I, I think it's amazing. It's so much more than when I was at school. I think um, science, I've really, I've seen it as I've been evolving my list to include more science books, that science is science is cool again. Science is something that people really are interested in, chomping at the bit to, to find out about. So I see a real hunger in people wanting to know about different things. I see um, people who um, 
you know, they, they want to be informed, they want to know what's going on, they want to have an understanding of what's happening to the planet or where um, things they're buying come from or what impact they're having with, you know, food that they're eating or choices that they're making. So I think that people, um, they are very curious and I think there's a huge hunger for knowledge and I, I certainly see that from when I, what I hear from the Science Museum, um, I mean their numbers have been soaring in recent years so I think that's a really, really good um, indication that there's a, um, a, a growing, um, growing interest, vastly growing interest. Yes. <coughs> In terms of non-coloured or, or diagrams and illustrations, I, I don't. What do you mean by non-photographic? At, at, at Q, you will have seen the uh, paintings produced by botanical artists. Yes. Which seem to come alive. Yes, it's, it's no new thing. I mean, they've mm. been doing this for hundreds of years, but adding... What you, what you were describing earlier on was something of a hybrid, wasn't it? So it's not... When you said it was up to 80 photographs and then the colours had been... Yes, absolutely. So, is it, so was the artist... Was the, the artist who was sort of working on that, was he picking up on that, that more... that older established tradition, do you yes, think? Yes, and actually he uses that as part of his argument to, pro to promote his... Um, his method of working because um, people would ask him, you know, who are you to add colour to, um, to what is a, a, essentially comes out of the electron microscope as a black and white image or a grey mm. image. And, um, and Rob's argument is um, a very good one in that this has been done for centuries. And, and even from adding stains and dyes to, um, to samples to bring out um, different details or different levels, um, mm. there's, there's always been a, a, a tradition, an effective one, um, in um, in making um, illustrations more um, uh, more visible, more um, yeah, more visible mm. to to whoever's seeing it. But yes, that um, then going back to actual photographs. I mean, I've published books that are straight photographs. I've I've done a book on woodlands or wildflowers, for example, which are straight photographs of those um, those botanical examples or or trees or what have you without any, any other interaction mm. from an artist. But presumably, I mean, digital photography must have completely revolutionised your, your business. To a degree, I think... Um, I mean, when I look back through our archives, we have thousands, yeah. tens of thousands of slides probably from the old books, and I actually remember having to mark up slides. Um, so school holidays for me meant helping my dad 
mark slides up <laughs> either yeah. for lectures or for, <laughs> for for the designer and i was i was always really good at, at masking stuff and and, mm. and and writing directions on them but um but you know you would send the slides off to be scanned mm. um and then they would come back and then they would be color balanced by another company so there was a whole procedure right. yeah um or a whole series of procedures that would happen before mm. um you know it, to to enable the book to be printed now someone could just email you a, yeah. a photograph or, mm. or send you a, but if, a but link. Just thinking of that, if you've got 80 photographs that you're weaving together stitching and together. stitching together digitally, presumably, and then photoshopping them in some... It, it, much easier, yeah. yes, of course, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. It doesn't mean it, it takes any less time because that then brings its own layers yeah. of complexities. No, sure. Um, sure. I think some of these images Rob would work for, I think, kind of 30... 40, 50 hours sometimes, yeah. um, just on one just image. On one. So um, just because you have more tools doesn't necessarily make <laughs> it easier or quicker. It's just a different type. Anyone else? Yes. <laughs> we might have beaten you to it because he did the forward for the Seeds book, which was really, really wonderful, actually. Um, but um, yes, he's, he was fantastic with this. He's also done a forward for an architectural title um, that I worked on recently, um, but has, been, um, has always been interested in, in receiving titles that have mm. this angle, so absolutely. You could do a yes. book called Monstrous Carbuncles. <laughs> Tricky ground. Yeah. <laughs> and the other next bit to my question was right at the beginning you were talking about taking the seeds and applying goals to them. Why? Um, you want to create, an <laughs> this is now me learning from my authors, you want to basically create an even surface on, um, on the seed coats so that when you put it in the chamber, because it's a vacuum chamber that you're putting it in, the electrons then bombard this seed and you're basically, it's almost like they're taking a, a photograph of the relief mm. of, of what they're hitting. And so the, the gold or the platinum just makes it a homogenous um, coating basically. And they're also dry, they're, um, they're critical dry pointed as well. So. You wouldn't get that really sharp image, would exactly, you? Exactly, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, so Wolfgang has this drawer of all these like little stubs, which are just absolutely beautiful. I keep thinking they could make some stunning jewelry or something, all these mm. little tiny platinum samples. I always yeah. say, oh. <laughs> <laughs> In, in terms of digital publishing, or um, so in terms of working as a publisher, um, it's great because I it means that um, I can design all my books. I have a, a big screen. Um, you have an easy way. Uh, you know, it facilitates ways in which you can transfer information as um, 
Ed was saying, just be able to receive digital images. And, and I even sent, um, I sent my books to press online. Um, so what used to be having to kind of rush and finish the book by 5 p.m. so that FedEx could come and collect the discs that you then had to burn and, blah, 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 and, and wait for this thing, I can just send them in, in an hour and, and the books will be um, with the printer. Um, so I think that's very good. And also it allows you such a huge amount of control um, in that you can, you can make changes, you can make amendments. And before where you were pasting up pages, um, a mistake was really costly and you would have to pay for, you know, if you really had a, a serious mistake, you didn't have to pay for a new plate to be made on press, which would be horrific. Um, whereas now you just make the correction, send that page, and, and boom, it's, you know, that, that can be done. Um, in terms of digital advances and digital publishing, um, which is something that's is a bit like this kind of looming threat, I think for the moment, um, I think I'd like to think I'm reasonably safe in terms of what I'm doing. I think there's, I've seen a, a continuing, actually evolving, um, very strong market for beautiful books. Um, people want, um, people still want to have um, art books and, and books, uh, visual books such as these. They want them as hard copies. I've yet to see a, a, an e-book um, uh, produced in a way that does any credit um, visually to any kind of illustrative subject. Um, so I think it's, it's more a question of there isn't the right platform at the moment for translating this kind of work into digital, it, it will come. Do you think with, with high definition TV and this sort of thing that um, what, what, do you think it might it might change, and you would have to think about think, other ways of disseminating what you're producing? I think you will get options. I mean, I was um, talking to somebody. I mean, I would love to do um, an app, for example, where you have the book and you can. Um, somebody showed this to me at Frankfurt Book Fair two weeks ago. You wave your phone in front of one of the pictures. The, um, the app on the phone um, scans a picture immediately and recognizes that picture and then shows you, you can then basically um, uh, give the, the person who's viewing this app um, more pictures or a commentary or a film or you can basically add to what is in this book um, through the app because also we're limited, you know, we have I think the, the biggest book here, oh, it's the um, probably Wild Africa, it's just short of 300 pages. But that, even 300 pages, isn't, it isn't that many pictures. Mm. It's probably 240 mm. images or something. So if you think, I think the author came to me with 3,000 images in the beginning. And I said to him, you do realize you know, we're only going to use a couple of hundred, maybe you know, a little bit more, but his face just, <laughs> and we had to cut, cut, cut from all the, all the work that he'd done. But you know, you're limited and you're, you're bound by, by your, the size of your paper. So having um, a, a digital platform where you can offer more and then keep that updated mm. maybe for the more um, up-to-date science stuff, I think would be really interesting. Mm. And your books, they're, they're actually printed uh, in China, is that right? They're all printed in, in China, China. So, yes. you, so you send a ping across on an electronic... We send it all to, yes. Mm. We're, we're um, discussing actually moving it to uh, Eastern Europe mm -hmm. now. So we're looking at moving 
it's very much it's it's an industry thing. Mm. Um, all um, illustrated books, almost all, are printed in China, mm. and so you have um, the presses are all set mm. up, and um, the binders are all set up to take big books because mm. these books can't be bound by um, by ordinary printers. They need mm. the setup and the volume to run through. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. What is the Sorry, we just get, we just get there. What is the average print run? Um, so, first print runs, they can be anything from 2,000 to 5,000. Um, that's really talking about a kind of UK um, market only. Um, the Seeds book, I think we're reaching about a couple of hundred thousand now when I count all of my language editions put together. So um, we actually reprint quite regularly. Um, I like to, I don't like stocking lots and lots of books. Um, they cost a fortune to store. And, um, and also it means that when you start, it looks like you're starting to sell out of the title, um, you can then go back to the author and say, right, you know, are there things that need updating? Or have you been back to Africa? And do you have more images? or? You know, do we need to change cover, or um, are there new? Is there new research for environmental scars, for example, mm. uh, um, industrial scars? There mm. might be new findings, new laws that we want to update the text yeah. with. So then, we would then reprint, reissue that book, um, updated and and refreshed. Mm. Um, so yes, it's quite low. I think the um, the UK the national average is around two and a half thousand across all publishing. It's quite low. It's gone down. My father used to print twenty to thirty thousand first runs of um, books of that day. That was very different then. <laughs> We've got time for one more question. If anyone's got anything there, yeah, just. something that I, I probably love most of all about what I do and that is that I work one-on-one -on -one with my authors um, it's it's very much I'm very very aware that I'm publishing um, work by people sometimes it's their life work um, sometimes it will be ten years worth of work um, sometimes it will be one year's worth of work but it feels like ten years worth of work you know it's really it's something very very precious to someone and Bigger publishers, um, you know, they don't have the time or the, the resources to take each book individually and have the author and, you know, spend time with them, hours with them um, in our case. But I do that because also I want, to, I want to be able to fully understand the subject so that I can publish it and so that I understand what it is that I'm laying out on the page. Otherwise, to me, it's just a, you know, I start with just a bunch of words and, and visuals that I then really um, get to know um, very, very well by the time I'm, I'm working on the book. Authors will come in um, quite early on, and then will come in a, at a design stage. 
and um, to the point that once we have a, a rough draft, we'll actually go through, sometimes page by page, um, making sure that things are in the right place. Um, I also discuss formats. I mean, each book is very individual, as you can see. They're all they're not all one standard size, and although we have series, we'll really see what best fits that format, that audience, um, and and ultimately, you know, who, what what the price point will be as well. Um, but I really see it as a collaboration. I think it for me it works well, and um, I've worked with. I tend to work with my authors on multiple projects as well, so um, all of the books I've shown to you here, actually bar the Wild India book, because it's the first book I worked with him on, um, they're all kind of second and third projects that I've done with those, with those authors. We need to, to wind up before we thank uh, Alexandra. I just want to um, give you a, uh, a flavour of what's coming up in the, the future with Cumberland Conversations. So. In due course, you will get information about three conversations we've got lined up for next year, and there'll be a, be a fourth. Um, one of them will be with Nell Gifford. And if you've heard of Gifford Circus, or seen Gifford Circus, it's ex absolutely extraordinary. Um, and it's coming to Windsor Great Park next summer uh, for a week. Uh, Nell Gifford, um, after graduating from Oxford in English literature, decided to to go into the circus. Um, and it's an amazing story. So we've got Nell Gifford coming. We've also got Terry Waite coming. And uh, some of you may have seen Terry when he spoke at the Royal Chapel recently uh, about his experience of being uh, a hostage negotiator and ending up becoming a hostage. And the world intrigued to know what was happening to him. And then, of course, uh, we discovered after his release so Terry is going to be coming to Cumberland Lodge, and while he's here, he'll be doing a Cumberland conversation. And also we're going to be joined by a remarkable musician, uh, Adrian Snell, who after a very successful career as a singer, songwriter, performer, had a, a, an epiphany and became and decided to devote his life working with people with special needs as a music therapist, which he's done very successfully. And, uh, recently did something on Radio 4, which uh, was quite extraordinary. Um, we'll be having Adrian coming to talk about it. I hope you'll stay around for a drink to have the opportunity to talk to Alexandra and have a look at her books. But would you join me in thanking her for a really fascinating evening? Thank you. <laughs>